Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 337-706-0111. We will have a couple guests today show um, at 9.15 and 10.15. Other than that, if you would like to get in to talk about any of the things going on in the world of sports, obviously it's already Thursday, and so we need to get in a little bit in more into the matchups. I keep saying that. I said it the last two weeks since the playoffs began in the NFL, and then all of a sudden we, things get so heck caught up on this or that, and and we um, get to Friday, and and then Friday's been and we've done not as much as we kind of hope or needed to, so. I, I, I'm trying to battle being a little bit down today. You know, when this process started with Casper the Quitter, he said that there was about a 30% chance that he was going to take a job. Um, and, and again, most of us kind of chose not to believe that. Now, it, it's hard again. It's hard to know because you read headlines. In the last week, we read headlines that he was, you know, about to take the Denver job, and he was a finalist and all that. And then now you read headlines that he's probably not going. Now, you know, it it it's it's becoming, it's seemingly becoming more apparent that he's not going to, and it's not shocking for two reasons. One, because he told us. At the beginning of this process, there's probably about a 70% chance he wasn't going to take a job. Now, again, he's a coach, and, and his mouth is moving, and he's in behind a mic, so there's a, probably about a 70% chance he was lying, too, because they most, almost everything they say is a lie. Um, so you, you got to kind of put all that through a filter. But the second reason why is because – it kind of makes sense. Like, if you were in cat, put yourself in Casper's position. You're this highly thought of coach. Uh, you know, you grinded for a certain amount of years with the Saints, established a really good reputation around the league. You decided you were going to take a year off, so you quit. And you didn't know what jobs were going to come open. And of the jobs that are open, are really, if you were him, which job would you take? Now, I guess there's always, you know, someone's going to offer me $20 million, then, you know, you might take it. But he's going to be making a lot of money doing TV and not working in hardly any of the hours. Half the, not even half the hours probably that he would. Being a head coach, 
and not nearly as much stress. Now, it's not as much fun probably either, but still. I mean, you got Arizona, which, you know, they don't have a great history of a front office, and they've got a really strange starting quarterback, and it, things don't look good in Arizona right now. Now, again, it's the NFL. Everything can turn around in one year. But it, but if you feel like you're holding all of the cards, like he's – really, would you, would you pick Arizona? Um, I, I said from the beginning, the Denver thing from a football standpoint never made any sense to me. He's taught, they have a GM that's never done anything and just made a trade that if things don't turn around in a couple years, it's going to probably be considered the second worst NFL trade of my lifetime behind Herschel Walker. Very possible. That's the case. If things don't turn around. Because they gave up a lot for Russell Wilson. So you, and you got a new ownership group, and you got no draft picks for a couple years. I mean, you have some, but not a lot of draft capital. And, you know, there's a lot. I mean, that that's a risky situation. That's not a – from a football standpoint, the Broncos never made any sense. Again, I'm not saying it's it would be a bad job for, you know, Dan Quinn – or, you know, this David Shaw thing. Is that really a possibility? You got all these Stanford, Stunford. Got all these Stunford people in the in the Broncos organization. If I knew it, I probably forgot it. But Condoleezza Rice went to Stunford. Obviously, Elway went to Stunford. I don't know if there's any other Stunford people there. But, um... David Shaw is highly respected, but man, if if it's a if it's a job that you gotta nail, like their owner said, like you're gonna take a chance on David Shaw. I don't know. That seems risky, but whichever. I'm not saying it's a bad job for them, but I'm saying if you're Casper and you're holding all the cars, that's not an appealing job. Now, you know the Arnolds. I guess on paper could be a little more appealing, but I, I, I'm hoping he has a little more character than his hero, Stalin. I'm hoping that he just would not quit the Saints and take a job in the Saints division. I, but I'd be, I mean, that would just be really low in my so I'm, I'm hoping he's got a little more character than that. So I don't know that he really went. And plus, I don't know how great of a job that is anyway. Now, I think it's a job where you could go and. But again, the thought process was if he did go to Orneville, then the Saints would demand even more compensation, which would put his first few years even harder to build. So that's not a great job either for all those reasons. So that there's just not an appealing job. So I get it. Does it make me any more excited about it? Now, there's a there's a thought process out there, and I tend to kind of agree with it, but I, but but I think some people are looking at it as fact, and I don't think it I think it's far from fact. 
And that is that if Casper ends up going nowhere this year, that the Saints are going to get less compensation next year. Is that possible? Certainly. Any of those options are But I also think it's very possible that they're going to get just as much compensation next year as this year. And the way that that could happen is, let's say there are two jobs next year that he kind of likes. Because I don't think he likes any of these jobs, and I don't blame him. I don't think any of these jobs are great options. But let's say he get two jobs come open next year that he likes. He can play them against one another, and that's how you get the thing. That's how you get the uh, the compensation up. So I think it's too much of an assumption to say, well, he's not. the Saints aren't going to get the same amount next year as this year. So I understand all that, but I'm still not happy about this because I, I wanted to get this over with. And it looks like it's it it it's it's not going to get over. We were just wishful thinking, wishful thinking, wishful thinking. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Howdy, sir. Um, I don't know if you saw it. I want to say it was the week before the the last game of the season, and uh, uh, Sean Payton was on with with the other panelists and sports guys and all that. And I'm trying to remember who asked him, but they asked the question about what he was looking at and what his percentage chance of returning to the show for next year. And he said that what he was looking at was not the team, was not the players, what was you know not something that was going to get him you know straight to the Super Bowl. He said he was looking at. Um, Stability in the front office was his main concern. And I kind of, you know, you know, I took notice when he said that. And I want to say it was Michael Strahan asked him, you know, what, your, what would you, your percentage be of returning to the show next year? And he said 70%. Right. That's what I'm so, saying. He, he, he yeah. told us up front he had about a 30% chance that he was actually going to leave. And I, right. and, and I don't think that's because he's not ready to leave. I just don't think these are appealing jobs that are open. I, I think you're right. And, and I, I think it has to do somewhat with the players on the team because I don't think, from what I remember, you know, when Peyton was here, he doesn't like players who are distracting, let's say. You know, he likes to be in control of his team, and he he wants to get high-character players that, you know, aren't going to have off-the-field problems. And I think that's the other thing that he may be looking at. It, it may be that, you know, the organization is stable, but they have some players on the team, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, who are, who are unstable that he doesn't want to deal with. So... And I think that's part of it. So we'll see what happens. You know, if it's this year, it's this year. It's next year, it's next year. But uh, now, if know, it they, doesn't happen next year, a, then we're going to be really angry. Now I'm just kind of really bummed. Well, I mean, look, I don't think anything really happens anymore in the NFL um, on a split second basis. So. All I can tell you to do is just kind of re-up with your therapist and uh, see how it <laughs> yes. goes from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, right, sir. Buddy. Appreciate Take it. Take care.
No, I, I again now. Now here, here's the back half. The, I, I don't know how much you've been kind of looking at all the rumors and reports, and you know, I hate calling them reports because they're not reports. Like they're just, it's just speculation to me. There's a certain amount of facts that have to be in something to actually call it a report, but it's just speculation. But if you read all the speculation, it's starting to hit everyone else too. What what we started, what the bombshell that hit us on this show that Jay, the day that Jay called and and we were discussing it, and I, and it hit me right before Jay got on it, 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 that if Lamar Jackson doesn't go to doesn't re up with the Ravens, he's going to the Falcons. I mean, it just I could just see it, and it's just nauseating. So here's what needs to happen. I I don't think Casper's going going to sign, and so I don't think the Saints are going to get a first-round pick this year. But what I can't happen is go 0 for 2. The Ravens have got to sign Lamar Jackson. They just have to. They've got to. I cannot go 0 for 2 right there. If we go 0 for 2, you want it to, and then depression set in. I mean, that's going to be really bad. So we at least got to go one and one in that deal, hopefully. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, shift gears to Stevie P on the other side. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. All right, we have with us. For the third straight week, our friend Stevie P. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. What's going on, Kevin? Oh, I'm a little bummed today because I think you've kind of thought it from the beginning, but I, I think it's pretty evident that our, our boy Casper is going to still be in the uh, Fox studio for this next football season. Yeah, you know, it's not overly surprising, uh, Kevin. Uh, you know, number one, uh, he's looking for the right spot. I mean, he just is, and and there's none right there that's the right spot. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people, myself included, really thought when you know the Chargers didn't get it done in the in the playoffs that you know it was the best fit. You know, Justin Herbert, you know, it's uh, it's warm weather, but uh, you know they decided to I guess let let go of all their coaches except their head coach, and you know the rest was just negotiations. You know, Sean Payton even. Uh, aggravated some Saints fans, I think. Not necessarily me, because he's just, you know, he's playing the game. And he, whatever team he wants to go to, he wants them to have as many assets as possible. But he made the statement, you know, two, three weeks ago that, hey, if I sit out another year, then my value, you know, drops a little bit more. And the team that gets me won't have to give up as many assets to the Saints. And, and, and he's right. You know, so you know, if you would have asked me, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I would have probably said it was 80-20 that he'd be on another team. I said as much last week on your show that I thought that the chances of him coaching in the NFL next year were probably 60-40 that he was going to. But now it's uh, it, it's really almost done like a, like a 360. I think it's 80% that he's not going to coach next year. And as a Saints fan, 
uh, I'm not happy with that because his value drops, you know, again, and the Saints aren't going to get any draft choices again this year. That doesn't mean that they can't be successful in the offseason. They get a quarterback, you know, you keep mentioning Derek Carr, you know, you hit on some other draft choices, but as a Saint, look, he's going to coach again. I'd prefer that he coach this year, not for the Panthers or somebody in the, in the division, but I'd prefer he coach this year and the Saints would get some draft choices, but unfortunately it looks like that's not going to happen. But if you get, let's say there are two options that he likes next year. If you get those two teams bidding against one another, I still think it's possible you could get about the same thing you were going to get this year. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, all, all it takes is a couple of people to get into a bidding war. Now, you know, you're going to hear the na- the same names keep creeping up. You know, the Cowboys. I mean, you know, Mike McCarthy's contract is is uh, ends at the end of next year. And yeah, I could see if the Cowboys don't get it done next season. Uh, and I say get it done. I'm talking about at least going to the championship game and probably the Super Bowl that they might make a change. At the uh, at the top, but I, you know, because Jerry Jones is there, I, I just I don't know that that's a great fit. And of course, you're going to hear Saints fans, you know, which I I argued with Saints fans all year this year. I kept telling people Sean Payton's not coming back, but you're going to hear Saints fans, especially if the Saints get off to a slow start next year. Well, maybe Sean Payton's coming back. You know, chances are he's going to be with somebody else that we're not even talking about. Well, but it also, but if the Saints do have another losing season. Dennis Allen coming back may not be a foregone conclusion. Oh no! If the Saints have another losing season, I think it's very viable that they may that, that they may change. But you know, look, I, I keep telling people there's a reason why Sean Payton left the Saints. You know, he saw they don't have they didn't have a lot of draft capital. He saw they didn't have a quarterback. No, you know, he left because you, he was tired and he had a new wife and he no, and he wanted to. I don't buy. I don't think it was football it, reasons why he it, left. No, some some of it. Now, look, me, me and you, one thing we're on the same page about is you don't need this elite quarterback to win. But that doesn't mean that Sean Payton doesn't think that way. You know, and he came off of a team that, and, and look, I get it, the injuries and, and bad circumstances. But, he, you know, the last year that he was there, I think that they went all in. Jameis Winston, you know, they, 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 they did some things, you know, salary cap-wise. They were all up to it. They didn't make the playoffs. And I think he said, okay, look, that was my last stand. Look, I, I told people all that this year, he's not coming back to the same. That, 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 that's a thing of the past. I wish he would, but I don't think it's going to happen. All right, before we get on to some other sports subjects, uh, Steve, as we've told y'all, works for Lafayette Recreation and Parks. Is there any youth act sports news that we need to let people know about? Uh, well, we're we're uh, beginning our third week of youth basketball, Kevin, with the, uh, the junior NBA and association with the Pelicans. And the, the first two weeks have been really, really fun. Uh, now we switch to the adults. You know, uh, not beginning this week, but next week we're going to start registration for the adults, adult basketball, and you know that has been going on for years and years. We're going to start next week, but. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to give us a call here at Lafayette Parks and Recreation for us to give you some more information, uh, you can call me at 291-8380. That's 291-8380. Again, registration is going to begin next week, so uh, that might be a better time to call. But if you need some further information, give me a call. I'll be more than happy to, to help you out. And, of course, uh, sticking with youth uh, sports. It's probably going to be a couple of weeks, but we're going to begin registration for baseball and softball. Uh, over the spring. So, again, you can call me for further information on that at 291-8380. Spoke with Michael Schwab at a Juicebox Journal on Tuesday, and he's pretty much resigned. And 
Um, he's pretty much figuring that Corey Lee is going to be the other catcher for the Astros. And, you know, obviously I, I would have preferred to have a veteran catch, catcher in case Candy hits a wall, but we were discussing it earlier this week. If Michael Brantley is really Michael Brantley again, and, and, and Tucker is Tucker, and El Perro is El Perro, and Abreu is Abreu, and Altuve is Altuve, and Pena is Pena, and Bregman is Bregman, that's a pretty good offense. <laughs> no, Astros have an offense. You know, I, I love the addition of Abreu, uh, even if he's not at that MVP level that he was a couple of years ago. Okay? He's got a good year this year, and, you know, he's going to be an all-star caliber player. You know, there, there's elite players, and then there's star players, and then there's good players. He might not be that elite player anymore, but I still think he's a star player. And you know, he's going to be a big addition to the Astro lineup. You know, Brantley's not a guy that's going to hit you 25 home runs, but, you know, you, you hear the term often. I don't know you use it, professional hitter. He's not a guy that's going to hurt you out there in the outfield. And, again, like I said last week, I think the Astros are going to go to camp with probably – you know, Lee and, and, and Maldonado as their catchers, but it, it's fairly easy to pick up a catcher. I mean, all these people just fall on all of the catchers in free agency and, oh, and I want Contreras and all of this. It, it's fairly easy to pick up a catcher. I, I don't want to say it's the equivalent of football as picking up a uh, uh, a punter or, 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 uh, or a kicker because that's, that's, uh, that's disrespectful to catchers. They're more important than that, but – you, you kind of get my drift. It, it's it's a little bit easy to pick up a a veteran catcher to help you out in terms of uh in terms of depth. Now, well, I hope it's easy to pick up a kicker because the Saints sure need one. So, so they need one. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, we didn't even talk off the air about this. You know, you and I are normally on this. Look, like like everybody else, we agree on some things, we disagree on some on some other things. But one of the things that we've always been kind of in a in agreement on is the Hall of Fame. You and I are, are, are pretty tough in terms of getting people saying yes. Okay, that player should be in the Hall of Fame. But now over the last couple of days, I'm understanding that you, you've become Tim Kirchin. You want everybody <laughs> to be in the Hall of Fame? No, I'm not Tim Kirchin. I'm just playing devil's advocate because everyone is bashing poor Scott Rowland. And look, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have voted Scott Rowland in into the Hall of Fame either. But if you make the Brooks Robinson comparison, you can make an argument for him. Well, you know that, that look. That's a good point, and and at least you said no. I said at least. Look, I'm not a big anti Scott Rowland guy. I I think you could make the argument. I I really do. But you know, I, I look at him, and again, I'm, you talk about Brooks Robinson. Brooks Robinson is the best defensive third baseman of all, of all time at his position, and he's got over 2,800 hits. And he played in an era, you know, and I know he played in the 70s, but even in the 70s, that was a pitcher's era. But in the 60s, I mean, again, folks, there's a reason why baseball changed dramatically in the 60s. They lowered the mound. Uh, you know, Bob Gibson and his, and his crazy ERA, they, they, they lowered the mound. It was, a, it was certainly a pitcher's era. So you got to bring that into the equation as well. But even without that, best player at a position all time in 2,800 hits, I think that puts him in the Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland was a very good defender, but there were some guys in, in his era, namely Eric Chavez. You know, I looked it up yesterday. Uh, do I think Chavez was a better defensive third baseman than Scott Rowland? Yeah, probably not, but he was pretty close. He won six gold gloves. Scott Rowland won, what, five? You know, I think uh, he won eight. Be, I think he won eight. Yeah. Okay, well, the gold gloves could be overrated, but what I'm saying yeah. is – 
you know, there's a lot of guys like David Wright, the Ramos Ramirez, and, and Eric Chavez. All those guys are very comparable to, to Scott Rowland in terms of offense, and they wasn't that far uh, less than him defensively. So I like Scott Rowland. I just don't think he's a Hall of Famer. But tell me you say no to Todd Helton. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I say no to Todd Helton. But, but again, Todd Helton – we're just never gonna know. Like you never would you will never know what he'd have done if he didn't play in Colorado. We'll never know. True. And and it's yeah. just it's I, I think that's gonna be held against him forever. I think so too. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate for, for Todd Helton, but you know, it kinda is what it is. You gotta bring the ballpark into the equation. But you know, when I look at a at a baseball player, it's either statistics or it's the wow factor. You know, in, in, in the case of Brooks Robinson, it's a little bit statistic, 2,800 hits, but basically it's the wild factor. I look at a guy like Scott Rowland, and he didn't – I mean, he was a good player, but he wasn't this elite player, I don't think, at least not over a prolonged period of time. So it, it wasn't the wild factor, and he doesn't have to, the, the statistics. So all due respect to Scott Rowland, I got to vote thumbs down. All right. We appreciate your time as always, Stevie. We'll see what happens this weekend. Talk to you again next week. Thank you, sir. And as always, Kevin, it's been your pleasure, my friend. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. How much does Foot despise the San Francisco 49ers? Well, you be the judge. I love turning 50 because... I was no longer a 49. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111. If you want to talk about the NFL, Casper, any of the NFC or AFC championship game matchups, want to talk basketball, which I'm about to do a little bit, whether it's the NBA variety. Uh, the Cajuns have a big home game tonight against Troy. Last night, the Pelicans lost 111-102 to the Timberwolves. Anthony Edwards had... 37 points. Obviously, the most important thing is that Brandon Ingram played 26 minutes. Unfortunately, he did not hit any of his six three-pointers, and he went four for 18 overall. Herb Jones, who was back a little bit, but he was out for a while, but he was back. He came back before Ingram, went two for nine. So those the two of the three, and they're waiting for Zion to come back, obviously, were six for 27. So they're rusty, which is, you know, normal and fair. Um Anthony Davis came back last night. I don't know if you saw. He almost got hurt again. I mean, that guy. I mean, what is the deal? Like, some guy undercuts him, and he goes down, and he's holding his leg, and he looks like he was okay, but it's like, is there any chance that cat's going to be healthy for the rest of the season? You're just like, the first game he comes back, he's sitting there on the ground holding his leg. That guy's unbelievable. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Yeah, man, he just kind of took uh, took some uh, under. You can hear me? Yes, sir. All right. No, I thought I was having phone issues. Uh, yes. Um, just took some of my thunder, man. I know uh, Davis came back, you know, from the injury, and I uh, had no idea that what you just said, you know, I, I was that he was kind of – and I think it has a lot to do with his body just kind of – he kind of grew into his body. Like, you know, he was 6'2", then he just shot up to, to the uh, height that he's now. And I think it kind of happened so uh, gradually. Like, it just – 
well, a lot of people, you know, they kind of tall, kind of young, and they grow into it. But he kind of shot up, and I think he's not. I don't know. I just think his body is just. But did you see I, the highlight that I was talking about? He was trying no, to. He was trying a three-quarter court shot. It was like, I guess, at the end of a quarter or something. Or, and, 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 you know, why is and, – and he, and he comes down and the guy kind of undercuts him from, you know, 56 feet or whatever. I mean, it was just crazy. Yeah, see, now, see, stuff like that, you know, now now you get – you know, now I'm getting real upset. But uh, I want to go back to the Hall of Fame talk, man. Um, you know, Edgar Martinez, you know – uh, which, you know, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Edgar Martinez, you know, it took him six seasons for him to become a All-Star, and I think his third full season, you know, because a lot of times he's just going back back and forth minor league. I think at the time, Edmund, no, Vancouver. Anyway, um, and then um, Roland, he didn't make the All-Star team until his seventh season, right? Now, of course, I don't know if we put much in it, but – I just think what what happened when you let players like that in, players like Manny Ramirez, players like Gary Sheffield, they'll never get in, man, because of allegations or, or what or whatnot. And then with Sheffield's case, could be you know some um, some personal vendettas against him, the way he was kind of outspoken against uh, you know how he just kind of basically said what he wanted to. Right. Um, but Sheffield was Sheffield, man. I, his bad speed was, was something. I'm more of a left-handed uh, hitter guy, you know, because I'm left-handed. But Gary Sheffield, he, he was one of my favorite right-handed hitters. He uh, had all. He him. had Hall of Fame bat speed for sure. No, again, we're, like we said yesterday, Jay, we're in a period where I don't know how long. For the most part, we're not putting in the best players of that era into the Hall of Fame, and so the only other option is to put in – borderline players who may or may not should be there. And, and so it just kind of makes the whole thing kind of awful. But what makes me, what makes me, how David Ortiz get Well, there? again, and, and because guy, they the love him. steroid allegations. How, he get, how did he get, well, I know why. I know why. I know why. Tell me, I know why. But to me, he's not a Hall of Famer. If, if, if we're going to let him in, let's let Sheffield, let's let Ramirez. Ramirez was the reason why he was able to do to do what he did. Manny Ramirez was a great hitter. Now he yeah, was he was right a weird hitter dude, hitter but he was a great hitter. hitter. Yes, very clay. Hey, uh, you know, people can say what they want about him, but Manny Ramirez, he played when it was when it was time to play. He was a very clutch. You know, he was a clutch hitter. And of course, we're going to say, oh, you know, he was on steroids. Whatever. Who cares? And, and everybody everybody hates Alex Rodriguez, and I get it. But Alex Rodriguez was a great player. I mean, you don't have to like him, but I'm just saying he was a great player. I mean, it's just silly. What we're doing is silly. Yeah. But you let Ortiz in. Yes, I'm with you. That's that's, that's wild, though. All right, thank you. Thank you. No, and we know why. It's because they loved him. And he played. If David Ortiz did the same thing, if he had played his entire career with the Minnesota Twins and had the steroid – thing and it, he would not be in the hall of fame because bait i look i love major league baseball and i've told y'all i love the whole baseball process more than football but my my I, the reason why i made the too many people and too many sports writers especially in this country think all major league baseball is about is the yankees 
and the Red Sox and the Punks. And no one else matters except for maybe the Cubs every once in a while if, if they're doing well. That's it. They don't really care about anybody else. And that's why fans of other teams like me buck, root against those teams, even though I can respect them, because that, that if David Ortiz played his entire career with the Minnesota Twins, he would not be in the Hall of Fame now, but he did it in Boston, and so they love him, and he got all this publicity, and so they put him in. That's just the way it is. That's how baseball works. I, that's the part of it I, I just can't stand. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. It is, brother love, Jay Kevin Footsie. How are you, sir? Where have you been, brother love? Brother Love has been on the road. Brother Love has the love, the love tour, the worldwide love tour. Brother Love has to spread the love all over. I can't just keep it in one little area. Love is supposed to be all over. And I love Stevie P. Stevie <laughs> P is one of the people I love, J. Kevin Footsie. But J. Kevin Footsie, that's not the reason why I'm calling today. Brother Love told you, I don't know if it was last year, I don't know if it was the year before, but when Hannah Five Names came on this radio station, Brother Love said, this is an upwardly mobile mobile employee. And what has happened, Hannah Five Names has been promoted. Been promoted just like Brother Love knew she would. You see, when you go to work with a positive attitude, you treat the people nice and you good to people, then boom, up the ladder, up the corporate ladder you climb. And I'm here to say how proud I am of Hannah Five Names. Brother Love loves Hannah Five Names, and she is an excellent employee, and it surprises me not that she has been moved up the corporate ladder. It saddens me because when Brother Love has a time on his worldwide love tour, he, he likes talking to Hannah Five Names. But now it's this new young man, so we're going to have to break him in. He's doing fine. He's off to a great start, Brother Love. Okay. Well, that that's that's good. That's good. But Hannah Five Names, and I don't want to put undue pressure on the young man. You know what? Brother Love's not, he's not a person to put pressure on people. I don't want to put pressure. <laughs> but Hannah Five Names. Brother Love was way up there on Brother Love's list of excellent employees. And J. Kevin Footsie, do not forget, Brother Love loves all the people. <laughs> Thanks, Brother Love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brother Love hung up, and I, I I need Brother Love to do something for me if he's still listening. On his World Love Tour, uh-huh. when he goes back to Baltimore, make sure he keeps Lamar Jackson playing for the Ravens. I need Brother Love to do that for me. You think okay. he has that power? I mean, I think he does. He has all the power. Man, what did you tell Brother Love? He loves you. I'm just a great person. That's all it is, Footsie. Okay. okay. Change the I'm, name I'm, to Footsie in my I'm, phone. I'm, I'm good with it. Be nice to all the callers, yep. like, unlike another person didn't. And... <laughs> Just let him talk. Okay. That'd be a good listener. All right. <sighs> All right. We will take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. As we finish up this first hour on a Thursday game day in these parts, Cajun men's basketball team plays Troy tonight about 7 o'clock. Open up, what is that? I think it's a four-game homestand after six or six out of eight in conference and eight out of ten overall on the road over the last month. Seven of the next ten games for the Cajuns will be at the Cajun Dome. And so it's an opportunity to really build some momentum in terms of fan interest. And, the you know, the problem is there's so many fans, as soon as they lose one, they're not going to, you know, stick with them. But um, if they can keep winning, they have not lost at home all season. And... We'll see how long they can continue. It's been a goal. It's something Coach Marlin talks a lot about is winning home games. So we'll see if they can win one, uh, another one tonight. And, again, we had Coach Marlin on on Tuesday, and he talked about Troy. This is a team that leads the Sunbelt Conference in field goal and three-point defense. The Cajuns or, you know, lead – been top 10, 15 in the country for a while now in in field goal per shooting and three-point shooting. Now, they didn't have a good game the last game in those two areas, but but they've um, been among the best shooting teams. So very interesting contrast there. As good a job as the Cajuns have done of, sh- of hitting three-pointers, and they've done a very good job shooting. Uh, last I heard, last I remember, I think it was like right around 39% as a team. Um, Troy shoots even more. So Troy lost their top inside threat on a transfer portal to SMU during the offseason. So they they play really good defense, and they shoot a lot of threes. And so they're not as much of a post presence. So maybe, um, and Jordan's had a little bit of foul trouble issues here and there. That won't be as much of an issue tonight. But, you know, I would think that they would probably, it sounds like Troy's going to do a better job than most teams. Some teams just don't seem to have an answer for Jordan at all and other teams do a better job and Jordan becomes a little more of a decoy than you know you know like a couple games ago he had 31 points and 13 rebounds they some teams again like I said they just don't have an answer for I would expect we'll see what happens that Troy will have a little bit better of an answer for him than ULM and a couple of the other teams that the Cajuns have have played recently um but that will mean Greg Williams and Kentrell Garnett and whomever else, Jalen Dowcourt, will have an opportunity to step up, and hopefully that's the case. It, you know, we're all kind of Cajun fans are kind of waiting and seeing, and I think the coaching staff as well, kind of waiting and seeing 
Um, you know, when Michael Thomas is going to come back and play to his um, best ability and reach his potential, and you would think that would just be a matter of time and, you know, maybe a little more tricky to see what Kobe's going to do. Um, a lot of that is matchup and rhythm. And I remember when we were talking about Kobe coming back right before as conference was beginning in late December. And the, one of the questions I asked, because the Cajuns were going pretty well at that time, right before, uh, the, before the Texas trip anyway, right around Christmas, um, was how, how is he going to fit into the rotation? Like, it, it's, it's easy to say, well, he'll just, you know, he's a talented player and he'll just move him in. But it, it changes the dynamic of your rotation, what roles are, uh, how he fits in. And so that, that process has been slower maybe even than I thought it was going to be. And I was pretty skeptical of it going in, how that was going to work out. And hopefully um, they can find a way. And maybe tonight it would be great to see Kobe, first of all, there's just the human side of it. Everything that he's been through with all the injuries. And, you know, we talked about the patience that he's exhibited. It's been unbelievable. And so you're pulling for him to have success just because you know what he's been through to still be playing college basketball. Um, I mean, it started with him his senior year in high school at Madison Prep. And it just, it just, he just can't seem to get a break. And so you're pulling for him just as an individual. But then you're also hoping that if you can get him going and they can figure out how he could best help this team and then he can do it, then theoretically it will make the team better in the long run down the stretch come March. So lots, um, you know, you, you want to win to win. Uh, in this case, you want to win, I think, to kind of keep the, the the excitement going and you can really gain some fans to where, you know, next Saturday, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I got to believe next Saturday, especially if the Cajuns can beat Troy and Georgia Southern, which will not be easy. I mean, these teams have been, um, you know, in the top four in the conference for most of the conference season so far. So, these are not easy wins. I mean, they could easily lose either one of these games or both of them for that matter. I mean, I don't anticipate that, but these are not, you know, not playing teams at the bottom of the of the conference here. And so Troy's good. And so they're, they're going to need to – but if they win these two games and they're at home and, you know, could easily win these two games, if they do – I would think next Saturday is going to be the largest crowd in the Cajun Dome in a long time. And I know we're going to talk a lot about the Cajun Chicken, and that's going to have something to do with it. But um, And the Cajun Chicken's return. But but it's also going to be a build momentum of the team and seeing them have success. And that would be an eight-game winning streak if they can – Again, that's a big if. Still got to do it. But if they do, you're talking about building some momentum and having the kind of atmosphere that a lot of people have been longing for in the Cajun Dome. And um, it's been a while, and it's time. And, you know, even in 17 when they won those 27 games, I I don't know. I have to go back and see what their largest attended game was. But I don't don't, – I'm thinking if they can win tonight and Saturday that that attendance the following Saturday when Marshall comes to town is going to be um, 
the largest attended Cajun game in quite a while, home game. So, But, again, got to win. I know the chicken takes care of some people, got some people excited. But the biggest thing to me is still if they can win and get to an eight game, well, really it would be a nine game if they won the following Thursday. So they still got a lot of work to do between now and then. But it could really make for a moment and really build some momentum for this team and the program, the support for it. So it's a it's a key stretch. You know, you want to win because you're at home and you want to win because you're tied for first. But um, there's a lot of other things at stake in how the Cajuns play over these next four games or next three games building into that big moment again next Saturday, which could be lots and lots of fun. Uh, you know, the Cajun chicken has had quite a few games where he's played in front of large crowds with great excitement. So we'll see how that plays out. That's our number one, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome. And back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers in the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, the game hotline 337 706-0111, 706-0111 if you would like to get in. We're going to have a special guest at 1015, but other than that segment, we will have open phone lines if you want to talk about Cajun basketball, Casper's coaching search, and the fact that it's really looking like he's not going to go anywhere. I want to talk about the quarterback situation or the NFC-AFC championship games. Any thoughts you have? On that, or if you have any more lingering thoughts on the Hall of Fame, Always enjoy talking about Hall of Fame and um, putting things through that filter and trying to figure out what the best way to look at all that is. So any of those thoughts, certainly feel free. 706-0111. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Can we talk some uh, football, the NFC and and AFC championship games? Absolutely. Kevin, you know – when the, the the matchup first came out, when I knew it was going to be Cincinnati and Kansas City, I thought Kansas City, of course, would. You, I, I like them, but the fact that the, the the whole country and everybody's picking Cincinnati makes me kind of worried a little bit for Cincinnati because what you got now in Kansas City, you got a wounded a wounded animal in the corner. Everybody's saying they can't win, and man, that's what that's going to make them very dangerous. You know what? You and I quite often think the same. When I when I got here on Monday and Sunday, and I was thinking, man, I I just don't because at the time you didn't really know how healthy Mahomes was going to be, and I was like, I just don't see how the um, the the Bengals won't be favored in this matchup. And as the week went on, they they became favored in the matchup. And now, as the week goes on and we get closer to the game, I'm starting to look. To your way, a lot of what you just said, but also is this. This is one of the better coach teams in the in the league, and some people would argue the best coach team in the league. Obviously, they have a lot of pride. They've done a lot of winning. And they, this team has kind of had their number. So the Bengals beat a team in Buffalo. I don't think that was very good. The Buffalo Bills at the end of the year were not a very good football team. Um, 
and they had a serious chip on their shoulder. Because of everything that, you know, they didn't like the way they, you know, handled the Hamlin situation and the ticket sales and all that. And so they had a serious chip on their shoulder. Well, now they're playing a team that probably has more of a chip on their shoulder than the Bengals do in the Chiefs. Because they're going to be an underdog at home and they've lost to them three times in a row. So as the week goes on, I'm starting to think that maybe the Chiefs are going to surprise a lot of people here. Starting to think that too. Yeah. And now, Kevin, in the other game, you know, Shanahan's uh, past experiences in big games, you know, we could go back to the 20 to 3 game in the Super Bowl. We can go back to other championship games he's been in. He gets very conservative. I mean, his butt puckers up on his play calls. He does not get, you know, he's tied to the vest. Now, if he does that this week, I think that's really going to help him because if he understands when it's third and long of that punt, Hunting's going to be a good thing. I think San Francisco is going to win because they do have the better defense. And the only way I think Philadelphia beats them is if they get too crazy in these passing situations. And Philadelphia's strength is their pass for us. And if Shanahan goes back to the same layer conservative way he is, which will be good in this game, because if you want to talk about the whole weekend, the best bet is going to be the under in that game. Probably. Again, I, I, you know, since the preseason, I picked the Cheaters to go to the Super Bowl. I, I thought all year they were going to go to win this, go to the Super Bowl. But now that we're here on the game, I don't know. I don't feel so good about that prediction because, again, we talked about it yesterday. The Cheaters have a great defense. I'm not arguing that, but they have not. They've only faced a running quarterback twice all season in Week One and Week Six. That was a long time ago. Week One didn't even count. I mean, I just throw that out. That didn't even count. And, and and I don't know that we I don't I think what the Eagles do much like it does with the Saints and the you know I think it will neutralize a lot of what the cheaters do on defense. Well, I think D'Amico Ryan is there. It's going to have a game plan for him. Now, look, I'm not saying it's going to be a route. I, that game is going to be very close. It's going to be a field goal game. That game is going to be probably about 17-14 or 14-13. It's going to be in that range. And and the thing is. I think the Treaters can win only if they do not put Purdy in bad situations. If they keep him clean and they and they, they, it has to be turnable free for them, they're going to win. But if they do mess up and Purdy does, you know, show a rookie, show what a rookie does sometimes in a, bit, a pressure game, then Philadelphia is going to win. I'm not saying he's going to either win that game, Kevin. I'm just saying it's going to be a low scoring no, game. No, I, I understand. Now, before I let you go, FedEx man, let me ask you: if you were going to put a percentage on it. What percentage would you give it that Casper DeQuitta is going to be your next head coach? <laughs> I think actually a lot. About 80%. Oh, 80? That's what they wait that's what he's waiting for, I think. Yeah, but y'all's situation is not good. I know he wants LA. I know he wants LA. I get well, that. But man, y'all you don't think y'all are Y'all well, might be – y'all sold your soul to the devil. I mean – It'll be 80%. He'll be a, a coach in L.A. next year. Let me put it that way. It'll be either one of them. But the problem is, you know, we all said the Chargers, and I said that too, but the, I don't I don't think the reality hit us. The Chargers are Chiefs case. They're not going to pay him 15, 18, 20 million. They're not going to do it. They're going to need to do something, Kevin, the second fiddle in that city. Well, I understand that, need, but I don't mean. Need to do that don't mean they're going to do it just because we think they need to. 
you know, I mean, the, the Spaniels are all bit that fell. I know, I know they're tight, but yeah, sometimes where you're the second fiddle, you know, like the Clippers. Now, the Clippers are probably the main attraction in basketball over there now. They beat the Lakers so much, it's, just, it's just not even a game to win when they play. That's true. Well, the charge beat of the first day, too. Well, anyway, buddy, you have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Gail. Howdy, sir. Every time you mention Michael Thomas's name, and I love the Cajuns, but I'm thinking of the other Michael Thomas. I understand. Me too. I do the same thing. It is okay. weird to say. Yes, sir. Okay. I understand they're restructured. We're going to take a $30 million plus hit. Don't you think you keep him around to see if he comes back? I, I would have no problem with that. But, again, there's just something that's I, – I, I just think I just think they've both reached a point where it's time to move on and try to start over. I think that's what they're doing right now. But I, I, I would not be against trying. But, again, he, he just never plays. I mean, he just never I know, plays. I know, but he, he performed pretty good in, in Atlanta. You know. you know, it's funny you said that. Sometime between yesterday and I'm thinking, you know what? You remember those few plays, those two drives when Jameis threw to him and it seemed like they just completed those passes because they wanted to and they had to and it happened. Like they, The Saints didn't have that all year long with anyone. And they just, they just with injury and, and not like Jameis just volunteered not to have that connection. I, no, I get it. Those few, two play, two or three plays kind of, if they stick in your mind, they can torture you, but I just don't think yep. it's going to happen. Exactly. And, and, it, and, it, and it did. It reminded me of Breeze and Thomas. Oh. When we have it, they got it. You know, it did. It's just his diving, falling to the ground, but his, he's had the sure hand. And I don't, I don't. It's just frustrating that, you know, the money we paid this guy. Yes. And, not going to give him a chance to just send him off into the to the next guy. And in my mind, it's all Casper to quit his fault. All he had to do is get him off the field. Yeah, that guy. Every, I, I think we ought to just cut. I mean, we need to stop talking about Cas because every time you do, it just upsets me. I understand. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. All he had to do is get him off the field. It's just so frustrating. The, what this team has been through in the last three or four years is just unbelievable. And now, you know, we were hoping for a little relief. And now we got to wait another year, it looks like. I mean, it's just. Man, it's frustrating. Just unbelievable. I mean, all they had to do. Think how different the last two or three seasons it would be if they all they had to do is say, it's mop-up time. Put whoever in. Why Why would you even want your best elite player that you're paying $20 million on the field in mop-up duty? I just... <sighs> so frustrating. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, bud. Good morning. Now, I got one question for you. You think this is the year? This is the offseason? For what? That my Cowboys finally get rid of that garbage that, 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 that they call a running back Zeke Elliott. I don't I know. You tell me. I mean, I. Y'all can have him. Y'all can have because I tell you right now. I'm calling it right now. He's a Mark Ingram in the making. That's what he is. 
That's what he is. At this point in his career, you know, I hope they do somehow find a way to release him. You know, I don't care how much it, it, it I mean, it takes a hit on the salary cap. Oh, I'd take him. I'd take him now because the Saints don't need him to be this 1,500-yard rusher. I just need a downhill runner. And look, where did he go to college? Ohio State. Perfect fit for the New Orleans Buckeyes. So, I mean, look, I don't love him, and I I think he's been mostly overrated in his career, but he's a downhill NFL runner. I'd take him. Right. You know, and and you know know the Saints like drafting him Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And I'm calling it right now. When Alave gets all that money and that new contract, he's going to be the next Michael Thomas. I'm just saying. But the reason why I was saying that I I hope they release uh, Zeke right now because I want that last play, that whatever that was, him getting trucked by that that defensive lineman, I want that to be the the last thing that that, that Cowboys fans remember because he was garbage from the get-go, buddy. But – that's all I have to say, buddy, and have a good one. All right, take care. Man, the man hates Dak. He hates – he don't like his players too much. But, no, I – I mean, I, I don't love him. It's like I'm not going to, like, go on this crusade to get him. But I I, I, I I would take Zeke. I mean, again, he's an NFL downhill runner. I haven't been real picky in this process. Just give me an NFL downhill runner. Of course, you had one, and you decided, Casper said, you know, I don't think we want this guy anymore. Good job, Casper. Good job. That was a good decision. Keep Michael Thomas on the field. Keep Plastic Man on the field in mop-up duty to get hit from behind and ruin your franchise, and let's get rid of Latavius Murray. That was a good decision. Good job, Casper, you idiot. So frustrating. All right, we'll take a timeout. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I needed that. Kind of down in the dumps today. Needed that jolt of the Eagles there. Welcome back to the game. Before we get back to the NFL and doing a little handicapping of championship games, wanted to take this opportunity to visit with one of the more successful coaches at the high school level in the Cadiana area, St. Thomas More girls soccer coach, Daniel Underwood. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Kevin. How are you? Well, we don't talk very much soccer at all other than World Cup here, but the 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 stretch that your program is on is is obviously pretty historic. You played in six straight state championship games, won five in a row, and undefeated on the season with a couple ties. Rank what? Na- aren't y'all in national polls? I haven't paid great attention to that, but I'm sure y'all are in some national polls as well. Yes, sir. We're we're currently sitting number three in the nation. 
And so, um, it, obviously, an incredible run. I want to go back. When, when, when you took the job, I mean, obviously, when you take a job, you don't really know what's about to happen. Is this, like, way beyond what you ever imagined, or did you think this kind of dominance is what was part of your plan when you took the job? <laughs> um, it all Really, I was, I was a young coach, and it was a great opportunity. And I think it was somewhere around year four when we kind of realized we were building into something special. But, yeah, to, to your point, uh, walking in, it was, it was a program that was known to have talent and, uh, you know, just been blessed to, to have the support of, of the school and of the parents and our players that have, have bought in over the years to create, you know, this championship culture that we have at STM. So as far as this year – um, tell me about this team. I, I haven't covered you, but people that have, have have talked about how athletic you are. Is that the difference between this team and like five and six years ago, the overall athleticism increase on the team? I, I think what's special particularly about this group is you have, you have a group of girls that have, have been playing together for a really long time. Um, you know, they, they play competitive uh, club soccer together. And so they really, they really work well with one another. Obviously, um, it's a group that at the club level has, has attended some national showcase tournaments together. They, they've won, you know, state and regionals. So, yeah, it's just a really experienced, talented group that, you know, combine, combine that with the, the amount of work and, uh, and effort that they put into it. Into it. It's a, uh, it's, it's formed something truly special. All right. So, obviously, y'all play Division One powerhouses. Uh, I think your next game is against another Division One powerhouse. So, you know, you've you played all, all, all of these schools. Uh, talk about those matchups this year that, that y'all have had. Yeah. So, you know, coming into the season, we obviously knew well, we had a special group. And, and for us, truly, it is about, you know, just uh, pushing ourselves and, and and competing in everything that we do. So we went out and scheduled, uh, hands down, the most difficult regular season that uh, I've ever I've ever had. Um, most other coaches are telling me they would never do that, but you know we knew that it was going to be a, a, a good group that needed to be needed to be pushed. So we played Saint Scholastica. Who's currently like Division One, uh, number one or number two? Uh, we'll play them again to close out the regular season next Monday at home. Uh, this Friday we play St. Joseph's Academy, who is the the number one team or number two team in Division One. It'll actually be the third time that we faced them this season. Uh, we faced Dominican, who's the you know defending Division One state champ. And I mean the list goes on and on. Mount Carmel. Um, Bird out of Shreveport, Lakeshore, who's our division rival. We we played them, so yeah, it's been a gauntlet of a of a regular season. Um, we've definitely gone out, as you said, and and swung above our our division. I would say we've played more of the Division One top ten teams than 
than anybody else. So I'm, get, I'm starting to get a lot of calls from those coaches wanting a scouting report on all their opponents coming to playoffs. Uh, I, I can imagine. So right tomorrow we're going to have a vote in the LHSA, the convention, and you know they they did the executive committee did some um, really kind of off the wall things and they and they shook things up and they re- redetermined what was a a select school and a and a non select school and and the brackets and and a lot of the sports were very different especially in football this past year so I've always thought going back to the nineties that if we could if someone in the LHSA would have had the forethought. Like, the example I always used back in the 90s was ESA Volleyball. They always were winning that, dominating that lower division, allowing certain programs within a school to play up and not everyone have to play up. As, you know, if y'all continue to win all these state championships, is that something that a challenge that y'all would want as a girls' soccer program to maybe move up, even if all the other sports at STM don't necessarily have to move up? I think um, it's a very good question. It's one, obviously, that you know we, we've entertained at times. And to answer it, it, it would have to be a yes. Um, right now, St. Thomas More is a co-ed school, so we cannot apply to play up without our boys' team also applying to play up. And yet, within our, you know, because we're there's some all-girls schools. If you look at a school like St. Scholastica. They play Division Two in most other sports, but in soccer they play Division One. And uh, what I've always said is that at the end of the day, if it's a two-year commitment essentially, so you know, looking at looking at our roster, it would have been easy to say for the next two years we're we're cap- more than capable of competing for a Division One state championship. And so why not go for it? But um, you know, at this particular point in time, all that's beyond beyond our control. And so I think what is in what, what is currently within our control is, is our regular season schedule. You know, the only the only games that are predetermined are our district games. So I think anybody who knows knows our program and knows us, you just have to look at our regular season schedule to uh, to get a feel for what, you know, what we think of ourselves and, and the type of competition that we're gonna seek out. Um, you know, should should those rules ever change? Looking at your roster and the classifications, there, there there's no reason to believe that this success is not going to continue for at least a few years. Correct? <laughs> you know, as a coach, you gotta you gotta be focused on the here and now. Uh, we don't like to get too far ahead of ourselves. So, uh, yeah, we you know, it's take advantage of of the talent and the opportunities that are that are currently presented to us, and then we'll we'll. Uh, We'll look at things next year, but I think, you know, the culture's in place. There's a there's a great uh, wealth of talent within our our JV team that we're looking forward to to seeing them develop and, and come along. So yeah, I I feel confident that at least for at least for another year, um, it'll be fun to watch these girls go out and play. Eric Narcisa, the advocate, he did a story a few weeks ago about. Um, how, as a coach, how do you handle when you're in situations where you have way more talent? Than, have you ever talked to other coaches about that, or, or what has been your general philosophy on handling that situation? Um, my philosophy is you gotta you gotta utilize. This is youth sports. This is high school sports. You gotta utilize all those situ- situations and scenarios to 
to really, you know, coach and train your, your team, you know? So for us, it's about going into that match with our players, understanding that, you know, they need to be respectful of our opponent. And there's, there's a certain way to go about that. And there's a certain way to not go about it. And it, it is difficult for both sides. And so the way, you know, we handle it is we want to be respectful. We don't want to do anything to embarrass our opponent. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's high school soccer, it's youth sports. So you got, you got to be, you know, you got to be respectful. And one of those things is not, is not running the score up intentionally. You know, you don't want to just go out there and, and completely, you know, <laughs> just right. Run no, the score right. Up to a yeah. ridiculous amount. And, uh, because I think that's a form of respect, right? You show your opponent that, you know, you respect them in that manner. So it's All right. a difficult scenario, difficult, yes. difficult situation. I think to, to Eric's article's point, it's, it's good to be experienced. You know, this is year nine, uh, so I have had opportunities now to get to know a lot of the coaches that we're playing against. Obviously, sometimes those are difficult conversations to have, but – um, you know, kind of prepare everybody, everybody for what what's happening and what's going to take place, and then kind of go about it like that. Absolutely. All right. So before we let you go, for someone that once y'all get into the playoffs in the state tournament, like most people expect, like, um, well, there's no you you don't even know when that's going to be yet, do you? Like, if people want to follow y'all and see if you can finish this out with a six straight state championship. Yeah, so I believe the state championship is February 24th. It'll be at uh, Strawberry Stadium in Hammond. Um, you know, last year we were, we were last year was a great experience for St. Thomas More. Our girls made it to the state championship. The boys made it, and it was it was a fun night where both teams won a state championship and got to celebrate that together. I think you know for many of the sports. You don't get that opportunity. You know, the, 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 the sites are split right? or they're on different days. So that was really um, beyond that first one. That was a very special experience last year. It's something we're hoping to repeat this year. Uh, so the boys would also stay, they get that far. Um, but, yeah, to finish this thing out, we, we still got uh, we got to play away tomorrow at St. Joseph's in Baton Rouge. And then we're trying to get – uh, the full we're trying to get everybody in Lafayette to come out on uh, I think it's January 30th next Monday at six o'clock we're gonna play Saint Scholastica and we're hoping that's uh, that's the last game of the regular season and it could be a historic achievement and an undefeated season for St. Thomas More um, so yeah if you if you want to come out next Monday in Lafayette and watch a, some great soccer and, and have some fun. That would be the time to come watch. All righty, sir. Well, we appreciate your time. Wanted to recognize y'all. Thank you very much and good luck the rest of the way. Yes, sir. Thank you, Kevin. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Major League Baseball is back, and it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million-dollar arm, because I got a... Oh, I got a good idea about that five-cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah! 
Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Wasn't planning on talking baseball, but I do have a baseball question that I've been putting off for about a week and looking for the right time. Looks like this might be it. We, it came official or it was announced sometime in the last two weeks, and I, and I meant to bring it up, and it just never happened, that in every AAA game this year, they're going to have these robo-umps doing calling the balls and strikes. And... I've said for my father-in-law's been telling me about that, like begging it for this to happen for years. And I always said, no, I'm all for justice. I'm a huge instant replay guy. I'm for getting it right and getting it right. And, but I always buck the balls and strikes. And I think it's because I don't really understand it. Like, have you ever seen, like, have you ever seen a game? Like, how is I can't, how is this going to work? Like, what are they going to actually do? I just don't understand the logistics of this, I don't think. So the ideas that I have seen, like on some MLB Network segments, have been that the umpire would wear... Now, this might be different from what AAA is doing, because I haven't seen that full thing. But the ideas that I've seen is that the umpire would basically wear a buzzer uh, and would still be there and would still give the strike call, but the buzzer would basically be telling him if it's a strike or not to say strike, and if it didn't do anything, it would just be a ball or something like that. So that because that when the concern was brought up that you'd be taking jobs away from umpires and stuff, that's what they kind of came back with. Oh, the umpire's still going to be there. We're just going to tell him the answers to the test, so to speak. Man, I, I you know what? I need to. I'm not a big. I mean, I love baseball, but I'm not a big minor league guy. But I, they need to show a triple-A game, a couple triple-A games this year. I need to see a couple innings just to see how different this is going to look. Well, that's the other thing, too, like the pitch clock thing that they started a while back, and then everyone complained about it. But then it's like you don't even notice. But the other thing is they don't even enforce it, so it doesn't really matter yeah. anyway. But they started that in minor leagues. And then, again, it kind of trickled its way in, and they started doing it, but then they have to come up with a better system to actually make it matter. It's going to be um, – and, you know, it's strange because during the pandemic season, when they had no fans, like at first it was really weird, and it didn't take me long at all to where I didn't even care or no, really notice it that much. But when you see – every once in a while they'll show a highlight of like a home run by a guy – from the pandemic season, and it looks really weird on the highlights when there's no fans there. But I got used to it pretty quick. So it's possible I'll get used to this, and my bucking it and saying I don't want it because it's not baseball is just kind of not because I don't really know. It's like I'm uncertain of what this is going to be like or what is it going to look like. The funny thing to me is that I I feel like the shift rule is more – important to the game and is more of like a big fundamental change than you know potentially robot umpires because as far as the game being played whether it looks different or not the only thing that's going to result from it is oh now we get more calls right as far as balls and strikes right but I think the shifting thing is interesting because you're going to really fundamentally change and I want to know how some of these guys who have been hitting against the shift for 15 years what their stats look like do they take a jump 
Oh, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I think it's going to be fat. But the only other thing that it does is part of being a catcher is framing, and and that whole art of framing is now going to be gone. Like catchers aren't even going to have to do this. And I, I don't know. I don't. I don't really like that, especially since I have a you know I have a catcher that's good at that stuff. But um, I don't know. It, it might end up being something that five years from now we're all going to love. Those of us who were against it. I just need to see what it's going to look like. We'll, we'll see. No, I think the shifting part is going to be fascinating. We talked about that with Michael on on Tuesday, Schwab, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. Supposedly, it's going to really help um, Icky, I call him, and um, Kyle Tucker, and we'll, we'll, hopefully it does, and um, and maybe even Bregman, although Bregman hits the right field every once in a while. But um, hopefully it'll help the Astros hitters and not hurt the pitchers very much. So I'm not really ready for baseball season, but are you ready? Are you, you you're you're ready now? What What's weird to me is always how early college baseball starts because then you get this month where you have college baseball basically in full swing with non-conference games, but then the MLBs you know barely start spring training. So that always is weird in my brain to be going to UL games. And, like, I'm not really back in the mode of baseball, but I'm watching baseball games. Yes. And then once MLB starts, it fully, you know, it fully feels like you're back. Right. And I'm not a big spring training guy. So I just, I mean, I'll watch a few innings of spring training when the Astros are on here and there just to kind of get used to it again. But, I, you know, I'm not a big, you know, so-and-so is hitting 400. And I mean, I, I've, I learned a long time ago that stuff means, means absolutely nothing. Because, like... Last spring, Yuli hit like 500. Like he was unbelievable in the spring, and he had a terrible season offensively. I did great in the postseason, thankfully. Thanks, Yuli, very much. But um, no, that stuff doesn't mean a whole lot. So no, I'm not really ready. But but you know what? Speaking of college baseball and softball, for one, we're gonna have Coach Glasgow on to, on the show tomorrow, so we're gonna be talking softball, and then baseball is right around the corner. I mean, we're not we're just a few weeks away from really be talking a lot of college baseball and softball for sure. And then Major League Baseball will get on when we get a little closer to, um, you know, to April. Well, actually, it's March now that they start. They don't even start in April. No, I mean, I'm. it's going to be fun. But when you've won, when your team won the World Series, you kind of want the offseason to last a while linger you know you want to savor it and and i'll be able to savor it all season long too because it's gonna be a hammock season but it's uh so no that i thought that little rejoin was was funny because i i um wasn't really ready to talk baseball although we've talked some baseball this week with the hall of fame and some other issues and getting michael on on tuesday um but the, the whole trip the whole Robo umps. I just my little mind. I just haven't totally wrapped my mind around it. We'll see how how, how that plays out a, as it goes on. But no, we'll um we'll get back and finish out the show in the next segment. Getting back to the AFC NFC championship games. And I I do you have picks yet? We might get your picks next. I'm not a big picks guy, but are you convinced on? On who's going to win or you're not convinced? I haven't fully decided. I think I'm supposed to unveil my picks on RP3 tomorrow. Oh, okay. We won't do that. I've got, I've got one of them decided. I'm going back and forth on the other game. Well, we might get your rationale maybe, even though we don't get the actual picks. We can maybe do that. In, in the, I, again, 
That's the thing about a week. It doesn't really make any sense. If you ask me my picks on Monday, I think I'd have said the Bengals and the Cheaters. But now the more I think about it, I'm kind of leaning the other way. I, I, I'm kind of, as the week goes on and I see everything and think about the matchups and hear everything, I'm kind of starting to lean the, the other way. We'll see. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back. I'm afraid it will be, that road there will be a lot longer than I was hoping, but we will see. Welcome back to the game as we finish out this Thursday edition of Footnotes. You know, I was thinking during the break, one thing that could make Sunday's NFC-AFC Championship Day a bummer, and it's possible. Remember, we have two injured quarterbacks here. And, of course, any player could get hurt at any moment in any game, but... We do have two injured quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts is just kind of coming back. He's still, I don't know how. He's probably less susceptible to to re-injuring than Mahomes is. But what a bummer it would be if, in terms for people who, depending on who you're rooting for, I mean, may not be a bummer. But if you're one of these people, oh, I just want it to be a good game, you know, the old good game thing. Um if Mahomes goes down in the first quarter, and particularly if Hurts goes down in the fourth quarter. I mean, I don't think either team would have a chance. But talk about the networks be upset if those two quarterbacks go down in the first quarter. The reason I'm not as concerned is that, in my opinion, the two better teams with full health would be Philly and Kansas City. So, And they're at home. So I do think even if... Now, if Mahomes goes down, I don't know. They looked great on that one drive with Chad Henney, but I don't know how much I trust Chad Henney. Yeah. I think those teams could hang around if they were able to run the football. But, yeah, I don't think Philly has much of a chance to beat San Francisco without Jalen Hurts. Depends, obviously, when he goes down. But if he would go down early, I I just, again, I I think the way the cheaters play defense, if you don't have a mobile quarterback – I just I don't I don't I think they're I think they'd be interested. I mean, look what Gardner Minshew and I know this wasn't the championship game, but they were still playing for a number one seed at the time. And when Gardner Minshew played against the Saints, I mean, he didn't do hardly anything. He looked terrible. They completely shut their offense down. And I I, I think it's a very similar thing would happen if he plays in that game. But again, you don't you don't agree that the if Hurts is Hurts that they're going to have a lot tougher time stopping that offense, I think, than they have because they haven't faced that all year long. 
I agree. A I running agree. quarterback. And you're talking about the 49er defense? 49er D or the cheater defense against the way the Eagles – I mean, they're a great – no one runs the ball on them, but no one really runs the ball that they faced anything like the Eagles. I mean, if you could argue, no one runs the ball like the Eagles because of the way they run it and, and how good Jalen Hurts is. And that's one of the reasons if, if Hurts is healthy and everything, I would give an edge to the Eagles right now because – if the Eagles are able to find a way, it's going to be difficult, but if they're able to put together a game plan that slows down some of those intricate running concepts that 49ers do, and you make Brock Purdy beat you, he doesn't have a whole lot of things to go to. But if the Eagles, you know, even if the 49ers are able to stop some of the things that the Eagles like to go to, they have so much, so many more options. You have Jalen Hurts' ability to run the ball, you bring in RPOs. So. My thing is if, you know, and again, it's that chess match between the coaches, but I still think the Eagles have more options if things don't work early, whereas the 49ers, again, I guess we they haven't done it yet. No one's been able to do it. But if you're able to stop McCaffrey and those guys and force Purdy to just be able to beat you, I trust Hurts a little more than Purdy. That's where I am on it. No, I, I'm with you. And look, um, when the Saints played them, it wasn't Jimmy. It was Jimmy G's last game. Jimmy G. They didn't do much in that game, and McCaffrey didn't do a whole lot in that game. And I, I don't. I I think they can. I don't expect him to have this huge game, but I do think they'll run the ball pretty well. You know, I think the way the Cheaters play offense will neutralize the Eagles' pass rush. So I I, I would be surprised if the Eagles. Pass rush has this, you know, six, seven sack game and force all these turnovers. That would surprise me a little bit. I, I think I think it's a fascinating matchup because I think what the Eagles do best, the Cheaters offense neutralize, and what the Cheaters defense does best, what the Eagles offense does neutralize it. That's why I just think that's a fascinating chess match game. And I like I like both matchups. I think it's really and the fact that it's these two teams on each side, like I think Cincy and, you know, Kansas City is equally as interesting because you have arguably the two best quarterbacks in the league right now on that side. And then on the other side, you have these great teams that don't force their quarterback to do too much. Now, Hertz is maybe more dynamic, but like I think both matchups are really intriguing. And Cincinnati, it's, it's, everything's kind of played into their hand here and there, but they've just gotten so much better. I mean, they're just so much better than they were. I mean, early season, Burrow was getting hit again, and it was like, man, they didn't fix anything in the offseason. They've somehow gotten right back to where they were, and we didn't know how it was going to happen last year, and they did it both times. They they, they they had injuries, and they have, again, like as I said, all the elements of a medicine season, and they've overcome it so far. But can't you just see, with all the trash talking he's done, the Eagle, I mean, the Chiefs really attacking Eli Apple and hurting him. I, I can just see that happening. I could see the Chiefs really attacking Eli Apple and, and burning him in this game. I hope they do, uh, first of all. <laughs> but yeah, I can just see that happening. I would also be interested to see, is this the game where Kansas City finally really misses Tyreek Hill? Is this a game where that they don't have that go-to dynamic guy on the outside anymore, and Kelsey's kind of had to take more of the load. I wonder if, if they lose this game, if you sit there and go, wow, if, if they still had Tyreek, might have had a different story. Now, part of that also is because Mahomes isn't looking like he's going to be 100%, so he's going to rely on those guys more, whereas you know, getting outside the pocket and doing the ridiculous things he does usually 
But then again, did you see in the press conference they had a, a video of him walking away? He wasn't limping. He didn't have a he didn't have a brace on. He right. didn't have anything. So now people are saying maybe it's not as bad as they thought it was. Well, we'll see. I mean, again, if everyone stays reasonably healthy, especially the two quarterbacks that we mentioned, I mean, it should be a it should be a good day of you know good competitive, interesting chess match football. So again, you've got. It seems like really good coaching staffs. I mean, I'd have to. Go. I heard someone make the comment this week that it, you know, it's you don't often get what everyone considers the best four teams. Now, look at midseason, most people would have said the Bills, um, but again, I, I think just the attrition of the season, everything that happened, the Bills just weren't a great team at the end of the year. They just weren't. I mean, they um, they without the two kickoff returns, I don't even know if they beat the Patriots at the end of the season. I, I don't think the Bill. I don't think the Bengals beat a great Bills team. I think the Bills were kind of a, a shell of themselves by the end of the year, and that can happen to teams. You're just not not the same. You know, at the beginning of the year, almost everybody was picking the Bills. I didn't pick the Bills for that reason, even though I liked the Bills and I was kind of hoping they'd win, other than the Saints, obviously. But um, I don't know. It's going to be – it should be a fun, fun matchup, matchups, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm really kind of leaning if – to quarterbacks stay healthy, to Chiefs-Eagles. We'll see how it plays out. Speaking of the NFC and AFC championship games, Jim Rome, I'm sure, will be talking plenty of preview um, analysis for those two games on Sunday. Jim Rome from 11-2, to 2, so stay tuned there. Y'all have a nice day.